to begin the session tonight, I want to talk about what I'm calling the great paradox or one of the great paradoxes that we find in the New Testament. There are many of them. And this particular issue really becomes an interpretive key for us in this letter to the Colossians. And what's at the core of this particular issue is, is this particular paradox here. It's the fact that Paul says in unmistakably clear language that we have been liberated. We have been set free. We've been delivered from the power of sin and darkness. We talked about last week how one of those words in the original language means that we've been deported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there's such finality and there's such resolve and there's such power in that language. But yet in our real everyday lives as believers, we are very well aware that we struggle with sin that it's a battle for all of us. And so this paradox for us, we read these scriptures and we're like, man, you know, Paul was just putting sin in its place and telling the church what they needed to believe and, and what they needed to accept and do. But it just seems like maybe we're getting something wrong today. And I want to talk for just the next few minutes about this paradox that we hold in tension. Sometimes we struggle with sin and its effects in our lives. And we ask the questions in our secret moments or before the Lord, we ask questions like, have, have we really truly been delivered from sin or something just wrong with me? Y'all are awfully quiet tonight. So I'll, I, I ask the guy in the mirror that sometimes I'll confess is something just wrong with me. Sometimes we, in, in the Christian life, we can feel like we're just merely actors that have learned this code of conduct. Have you ever been tempted to feel that way? Well, I know what, I, I've been in church long enough, you know, since I've been knee high. And I know what Christian conduct, what the expectations are. I was taught that in Sunday school. And my parents taught it and they modeled it. Especially those of us that have been in the church a long time. And sometimes we're tempted to say, is, is there really power in this or are we just kind of acting what we know to do? And I want to say to you tonight that we are absolutely empowered by the Holy Spirit to choose to live righteously. We are unmistakably empowered by the Holy Spirit, even if we're struggling with sin in our lives, to choose not to sin and to choose to put to death to deeds, the deeds of the body that we'll talk about tonight. I didn't put this in your notes, but there's a particular verse in 1 John. It says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil is sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, or for this purpose, he came onto the scene. And then this particular phrase I want to highlight in our opening tonight that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we could say to the apostle John, man, that sounds pretty final. You know, uh, if, if you destroy another team on the football field, you've annihilated them. If two armies meet in battle and, and one is destroyed, that means that they are totally decimated and sent running the other way. 
The original language gives us some insight that we can apply to this great paradox tonight. And it, and it really translates this way. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. We have the word destroy, that he might, the word could be substituted as unbind or loosen or untie. And some of us might be tempted to say, well, man, that sounds pretty weak in light of all that Jesus did on the cross. Well, hold that thought for a moment because everything that Jesus did was enough. And there are things that went immediately into effect when he showed up on the scene and lived out his three years of ministry on earth. There were other things that went into effect when he was seated at the right hand of the Father in glory and gave his gifts to the church. And we are still awaiting things that he has already paid for that will be fulfilled at the end of the age. All right? And so before we're too harsh on that translation of the scripture, it says that the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy or loosen, untie, undo the works of the devil. I saw a YouTube video a couple weeks ago that really illustrated this well. I don't know how I... I popped up on this particular video. It's my favorite way sometimes just to waste time and, and unwind. But it was a video of this individual that had trapped a bobcat in one of these claw-like traps. And this bobcat was wanting a piece of this dude. I'm telling you, he was mad and he was lunging at this guy and the other guy that had the camera trying to film this bobcat and I'm like, you guys are way braver than me. You know, I've, I've seen bobcats hunting, but I'm like, hey, you go your way, I'll go mine, you know. But this bobcat, when they got close to it, they were able to put a piece of plywood with a cutout in it over the leg that was trapped. And finally, uh, these two guys that, that had more bravery than they had since, they got this bobcat's foot out of the trap. The interesting part of the story, my whole reason for telling it, is that they backed off from this bobcat, and that bobcat did not realize for several minutes that it was set free. It stayed right in the same spot and lunged at those guys and hissed and would curl its back up when they would approach it a little bit. One guy even kind of came up toward it with a stick. He, he should have won the Darwin Awards, right? You know. <laughs> He comes up with his stick to try to tell the bobcat that he's free. And all of a sudden, the bobcat realized that he started to run off. And then he realized he was really mad at one of the guys and chased him to the truck. And the guy barely made an entertaining video. I should have linked it to, to our talk tonight. But, but the bobcat would represent what oftentimes has taken place in the realm of the spirit. That Jesus has come and he has loosened, he has unbound us. He has untied the enemy through the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And, and oftentimes when it comes to our sin and what we put up with, we don't realize that that bondage has been lifted from us and we have indeed been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We'll move quickly, quickly through this, but St. Augustine Pastor Corey talked about him, I think, a couple of Sundays ago. How he first came up with this idea that in this paradox, we have this original sin that's been passed on through the seed of man. And sin's penalty, in other words, as I put in your notes, 
what Jesus did for us, since penalty is removed, but our sinful nature is not yet eliminated. And oh, how I look forward to that day, don't you? You may say, man, this, this doesn't excite me very much. Well, hang with me. And as we get through some of these verses, it's going to help you look at them with faith and realistically and in a practical manner of how we can handle these things in our own lives. So let me say that again. This is an interpretive key to this paradox and also to part of Colossians that we will cover tonight. Since penalty is removed, Jesus said what when he breathed his last? It is, it is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. We went over that word a few weeks ago. The penalty of sin is completely removed, but in this now and not yet tension of the kingdom of God that we live in, we still have this sinful nature that we deal with, that's still hanging around, that, that is not yet eliminated. When, when death is finally destroyed, when we finally see him face to face, and we are with him forever, we won't have to deal with death or sin either. Aren't you thankful for that? So make no mistake, Christ will ultimately vanquish not only death, but sin itself, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. We will ultimately be completely delivered from the effects and the force of our sin nature and death. So, not just in Colossians, but other places in the New Testament, the teaching of the Apostle Paul and beyond that emphasizes that outside of Christ, we are virtually helpless against sin. He uses this terminology often, and we first come upon it here in our notes. Outside of Christ and before Christ, we were enslaved to our sin. All right, I'm giving you another interpretive key right there. All right? Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty of our sins and it has been removed from us. And because of that, we are no longer enslaved to the power of sin over our lives. He has given us the tools that we need to walk in victory and he will ultimately do away with it forever and forever. So we're no longer slaves to that sin and its vices. I know in my own testimony years ago when as a child the Lord set me free from a demonic stronghold of fear and I was almost institutionalized. I was this close and I remember a Pentecostal pastor praying for me and I felt physically whatever that was on my life, I felt it like a wet quilt being lifted off of my shoulders I thought, man, all of this fear and all of the baggage with it is going to be gone. But I learned even as a child that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through faith, I had to overcome a lot of fear that had encroached upon the, that had encroached upon the territory of my personal life. But what I understood is that it was no longer standing on my neck. Do you hear me? And sometimes that's how we need to think about this paradox. We don't even want to have to deal with sin whatsoever in our lives. Why has Jesus done all this work on the cross if he just left me to deal with temptation and jealousy and bitterness and these things that arise 
unexpectedly in my flesh. Well, the good news is, is that it is not standing on your throat. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit to subdue and overcome these things in your own life. We have the words outside of Colossians of John where he says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, I love this verse, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In the original, I've heard it put this way, he is faithful and just to keep on cleansing us from our sins and all unrighteousness. Thank the Lord for what he's done for us. And, and thank the Lord that even though we have this, this paradox that we live with, we have what we need. So we are called to live, as we get into these verses tonight of Colossians, we are called to live with a resurrection consciousness. Let's read down and we'll find out what that means. He says from chapter 2, uh, verse 11, beginning there, in him or in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And we're going to unpack this a little bit tonight what this verse is actually saying to us and how it speaks to us about the provision of Christ. And so I begin this session saying that the Lord is calling us to live with a resurrection consciousness or a resurrection mindset. In other words, Paul is saying, Colossians, when it comes to all of these things that you previously practiced before you came to Christ... The, the sins that hung their labels on you and defined you. The devil loves to do that. Whatever those things were in your life and, and whatever you have been set free from, whatever you may find yourself, yourself still battling from, from time to time, he is saying to them, I want you to operate from this resurrection mindset. That means we identify ourselves with the finished work of Jesus on the cross for us and what he has done. We identify with that. Consider yourself in light of the finished work of Christ. One of the things that we should pray for ourselves constantly, if not every day, is Lord Jesus, give me the mind of Christ. Or Lord, you have given it to me. Activate is a better way of saying that. Activate the mind of Christ within me. Mike Bickle says it this way. He encourages people when they pray. He says, pray first of all to see your world and to see yourself as Christ sees you. Pray to see yourself and the calling and the assignment that God has placed on your life. 
in the way that Jesus sees it. He says, pray that every day. Pray that you will see the value and the purpose in other people that the Lord has established by creating them and making them in his image. So he goes on in this verse, he says, he references, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without, hand, without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. So when he talks about this spiritual circumcision, he says, we're no longer slaves to an inherited sin nature. We don't have to be captivated by our fleshly desires. It originated with the one who spiritually circumcised us. In other words, he is echoing the prophet Jeremiah when Jeremiah used physical circumcision as a metaphor to say he is going to give you circumcised hearts. He's going to give you hearts of flesh, hearts in a covenant with him, that you feel what he feels, that you yearn with what he yearns with, that you understand how the Lord sees things about you and even about your assignment. Baptism, we talked about that a little bit in our previous session. It illustrates in this resurrection mindset our union with Christ. It's, it's very clear in this passage where it says in verse 12, we are buried with him in baptism. It says in the Greek, we are co-buried with him. It's unmistakable. I don't know why the translators didn't put that in there for us. We are co-buried with him in baptism. In other words, we have died to the bondage of sin and its master, Satan. We're no longer slaves to that. We're no longer slaves to that dominion. But we have the authority that he's given us until the ultimate fulfillment of every bit of that to overcome anything that we face. He didn't stop there. He said, we're, we're buried with him in baptism. And he said, you were also co-raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. So we are co-raised to newness of life. And victory over our flesh means that we do this with Christ empowerment. Don't miss this tonight. I fully realize that, that we're kind of edging toward the deep end of the pool a little bit as we're dealing with this paradox that we're talking about tonight. But victory over the flesh, it cannot take place without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I want to set you free from what you feel sometimes when you look at that person in the mirror and you're struggling with things or you've disappointed yourself and had to ask forgiveness when the Holy Spirit sheds light on something and you've sinned. That doesn't mean that you were a fake the whole time. You're not living in some plastic fruit imitation of something that's not real. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we even feel bad about our sins to begin with, all right? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that sometimes we even become aware of our need for forgiveness or that we've transgressed before the Lord in something that burdens His heart. 
So we need to realize that we are not fakes and counterfeits simply because we are dealing with our flesh. I feel like I need to say that one more time for somebody. We don't need to feel like we are fake and counterfeit because we are putting to death the deeds of the body as the scripture commands us to do. All right? I won't read this whole passage in Romans. I probably didn't put that in your notes either, but it's the the passage in Romans 6 that, that talks about, as we see in Colossians, the picture of our water baptism. A couple of phrases from this passage. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So even though we struggle with the flesh or the fleshly nature, our scripture tells us that we have the capacity through the Holy Spirit to walk in the newness of life. He says on down from there in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In other words, so that we're not dominated by it. So we're not enslaved to it any longer. Our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what he says in Romans 6. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Let's look on down in this passage a little bit. There's there's just too much good to not talk about some of the other things. Verse 14 says one of the things that he has done for us is that he has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us and contrary to us, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. I can't help but get excited. This is just so good. If nobody else gets excited, it's okay. I'll get excited for you tonight. All right. This literally means that he has cleared our record of wrongdoings. And I guarantee you, just like in a court of law, without Jesus' sacrifice for us, if we stood before the righteous judge, at least my list would be long. It would, it would roll right past you, I promise, right out the front doors, probably right on through the parking lot, you know, maybe over to St. Andrews, I don't know. But through what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you, he's cleared our record of wrongdoing. Another way this phrase was used was a written record of somebody's debt in the ancient world. Man, doesn't it feel good to get something paid off? We talked about that a couple weeks ago and, and, and what that used to look like years ago. But man, it, it, it feels good to get debt squared away. You know, that last car payment or whatever that is. You know, you get the washer and dryer through Best Buy. Feels good to get that paid off. Well, Jesus has canceled the written record of all of our indebtedness. We should never get tired of, of hearing about that. I know everybody in this room knows that already. But when he looks at us, he doesn't look at our record of sins. When he looks at us, he sees the blood of his son who was more than enough, whose blood was more than sufficient 10 million times over 10 million for anything that we could ever do. 
This also mirrors the Roman practice. We know this even from the Gospels. How Pilate wrote a sign in three different languages. And he hung it up on the cross over Jesus. Just like the two on his right and left had the same thing. The Romans would write the charges against the person as a part of their humiliation. Horse thief. Temple robber. Whatever you were. And of course we all know that Jesus' written record of sin said king of the Jews. Which he was and he is till this day. But there's a powerful Colossians picture for us. He says, he's canceled our record of debt and he's literally nailed it, not, not just to the door of the lending institution, he's nailed it to the cross. What a high price he has paid to liberate us. We know this verse too in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for of us, that we, what, might become the righteousness of God in him. What a beautiful exchange he has given us. It says also on down in this passage that we're looking at, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle out of them, triumphing over them in it. And make no mistake, before we just completely move away from this subject matter of the great paradox, even though we are still dealing with a sinful nature, I can promise you that God has completely vanquished principalities and powers and the kingdom of darkness through what he did on the cross for us. Completely and totally. And it was more than enough. The Colossians would have understood. You remember in our previous sessions that just by way of reminder, God was way out there somewhere, but because the physical material universe is evil, God couldn't ever come close to that. So he'd sent emanations, messengers, these angelic creatures that he created. And what the Colossians would have understood is that we no longer have to acknowledge them at all. We don't have to fear or make any appeals whatsoever to anybody else, to any other spiritual being other than Jesus Christ who was crucified for us and resurrected to give us bold access before the throne of grace. We have complete access when the veil of the temple was split in two, that is one of the many things that was communicated in Matthew's gospel. That there was no longer a separation between God and his people. Jesus was the mediator. He was the intermediary that made the way for us to go into his presence. But it says he's completely stripped. He is stripped. He's disarmed principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them. This was such powerful first century understanding and metaphor that one of the things that happened in the Roman world is whenever a, a people group was conquered, whenever a king was conquered and if he was captured and any remaining soldiers, we know from history that they would have their great military parades. We get the idea of our modern day parades, guess from whom? 
the Romans and the Roman Empire, right? And so one of the things that they would do is they would, they would march buck naked, the king and his remaining warriors, to humiliate them in front of the people, in front of the Romans who had conquered them. And Paul is saying to them, this, this is tantamount to what Jesus did to these spiritual entities that were in allegiance to Satan or still remain in allegiance to him. Principalities and powers, these dark rulers. It says that Jesus not only disarmed them, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them in what he did. Isn't that powerful language for what the Lord has done for us? 